0: We've been thinking about Henry VIII's break with Rome. Today we're swapping places to see what Henry VIII looks like from the other side of the table. In particular, we're taking a look at the Pope Henry had to do business with. His name was Clement VII and he came from the powerful and wealthy Florentine banking family of Medici. That's already enough to tell you that he was more than a quiet Bishop of Rome with his mind on higher things. Hello and welcome back to History Café. Though it's History Kitchen Table because we're recording under lockdown, but other than that, we're just as we usually are. Pope Clement VII was born as
1: Giulio de' Medici in Florence in 1478. His father, Giuliano de' Medici, was brother of the city's ruler, Lorenzo, known as Lorenzo the Magnificent. Nobody's quite sure who Giulio's mother, Fioretta was exactly. All we know is that she wasn't married to his father and this turns out to be important later. Shortly after Giulio was born, the man who was going to be Pope, his father was assassinated, which turned out to be fortunate for the boy because he was eventually sent to his uncle Lorenzo the Magnificent, the city's ruler, and was brought up as one of his sons,
0: a member of Florence's gilded Medici aristocracy. Actually, life wasn't as gilded as Giulio might have hoped. In 1494, when he was 16, a Dominican friar Girolamo Savonarola, led a revolt in Florence against the Medici, throwing them out and establishing democratic rule. Giulio fled the city with his cousin Giovanni, and the two of them travelled in exile for much of the next 18 years, leaving behind a trail of colourful stories and scrapes.
1: While they were living near Rome, one of their servants, a black girl called Simonetta da Collevecchio, became pregnant. She had a son. At the time, one of Giulio's cousins was named as the father, and the baby was christened Alessandro de' Medici but many contemporaries and historians reckon that the real father was Giulio himself. Certainly, he always treated Alessandro as a son. Because of his dark skin, he was always known as Il Moro,
0: the Moor. The Medici finally took back control of Florence in 1512, with the help of Pope Julius II and an army sent by Ferdinand of Aragon, Catherine of Aragon's father. The next year, Giulio's cousin Giovanni, the man he'd lived with for much of the time in exile, became Pope. He took the name Leo X. Knowing a business opportunity when they saw it, the at once began filling the Vatican with their friends and relatives. Leo made young cousin Giulio Archbishop of Florence.
1: And that meant that they somehow needed to gloss over the awkward facts of his illegitimate birth. Strangely, it was now discovered that his parents had after all been secretly married. The new Pope, Leo, quickly issued a papal dispensation declaring that his cousin was legitimate and promptly made him not only Archbishop of Florence but also a cardinal. The two former young firebrands were now Pope and Deputy, and Giulio was effectively
0: ruler of Florence. Recognising Giulio's power, European states began courting the new Cardinal. He became protector of both France and England, which was quite an achievement since the two were at war. His sympathies, however, lay much more with the English and their Spanish allies than with the French. No surprise, since the Medici had only got back into Florence with the help of a Spanish army. At one point, Cardinal Giulio even helped lead an army that defeated the French in Northern Italy.
1: It was during this time that Julio worked with Catherine of Aragon and Cardinal Woolsey to build up the Anglo-Spanish alliance and head off any rapprochement with the French. Together, they negotiated an alliance between Spain, England and the papacy in 1522. And it was because of this cooperation with the Medici and the Spanish that Woolsey had gradually acquired his extraordinary, almost unprecedented powers as papal legate in England.
0: In 1521, Giulio's cousin, Pope Leo, died. Despite the backing of the Spanish king, Charles V, Giulio narrowly missed out on being elected his successor. But the next pope died within a few months, and in 1523, Giulio himself was finally elected. He took the name Clement VII, and immediately confirmed Wolsey's legatine powers for life. Wolsey was to use these powers to protect their precious Anglo-Spanish-Medici relationship.
1: It now becomes extremely clear why Clement found it so difficult to help Henry divorce Catherine. It was her family that had backed his election as Pope and her family that had restored the Medici to Florence. And it was Clement's family that had given Henry's chief minister, Cardinal Wolsey, so much power. But now the English king had turned against Catherine and his cardinal had apparently turned against the Pope. But actually... Clement had also begun to worry about the Spanish.
0: The new Pope Clement VII was an enthusiastic patron of Raphael, Benvenuto Cellini and other Renaissance artists, as well as an active supporter of cathedral music. The great Vatican Basilica of St Peter's was already half knocked down and for much of Clement's papacy it was slowly being rebuilt as we see it today. His priorities were to keep that hard-won Medici control of Florence and to preserve the great lands and powers that belonged to the papacy. He was also determined to keep the Christian powers of Europe working together. But all that was easier said than done, especially since his cousin had left the papal coffers bare. From the start,
1: Clement was worried about the Spanish. The Medici had regained Florence with Spanish help. He'd got his papal tiara with Spanish backing. But the Spanish king, Charles V, was constantly at war with the French, struggling for control over northern Italy. And it was the Spanish who were gaining ground quickly and alarmingly. Charles V's Spanish and German forces even seized important papal ports, including Ravenna and Cervia. Clement had to find a way to hold them back, and especially before they decided to seize Florence for themselves, where he'd put in charge the man who might have been his son, the Black Prince, Alessandro de' Medici.
0: But the only practical way for Clement to hold the Spanish back was to abandon papal neutrality in the North Italian wars and throw in his lot with the French. And that would not only betray his long-standing Spanish backers but threaten to split Christendom down the middle. So Clement, who'd been a sensible, practical cardinal, became a dithering, wavering, indecisive Pope. He allied with France in 1524, with Spain in 1525 and with France again in 1526. By February 1527, his people in Florence were so worried about protecting their city from the marauding Spanish forces that they sent their man to Rome to persuade Clement to do something to protect the city. He was Niccolò Machiavelli, author of perhaps the most famous, maybe even the most notorious, book on government, The Prince. It's often seen as a byword either for crafty statesmanship or for deviousness and double-dealing. Well,
1: maybe those are the same thing.
0: Hmm. Anyway, Machiavelli reported back that in his informed view, Clement was a useless ruler. He was completely unable to take a decision. We have on our hands, he wrote, a prince who can provide neither for peace nor for war.
1: Well, by mid-April 1527, a Spanish army was poised to besiege Florence and Clement was trying to buy it off, taxing the poor Florentines to pay a massive ransom. Charles V's troops, after all, hadn't been paid in months and were desperate for cash. Negotiations became deadlocked and the city was only saved by the arrival of a French army and that's when the Spanish soldiers moved off in mutinous disgust and headed for Rome. Ten days later, they subjected it to its most brutal attack in early modern history. In the Vatican, Clement hurriedly melted down his papal tiaras and a quantity of other papal treasure and hid much of his jewellery, then he scuttled down the road and took refuge in the Castel Sant'Angelo hold up with him. There were 13 of his cardinals, 18 of his bishops, a crowd of his banker and merchant associates from Florence, many women and children, and also the man who'd been the English ambassador to the Pope for two years, Gregorio Casali.
0: Casali was a wealthy Italian from Bologna, whose mother's family were rich Roman nobles. In 1527, Casali was still only in his twenties. In ciphered correspondence, he was known by his codename, Capo Palato, bold Catherine Fletcher has written a wonderful account of him in these years, which gives us a whole new dimension on Henry's divorce.
1: Casali and three other diplomats negotiated with the marauding troops surrounding the castle. Clement refused Spanish demands to move the papacy to Spain, but he agreed to pay a massive ransom, 400,000 ducats. His garrison would be allowed to go free in return, but he and his cardinals would have to stay where they were.
0: Much worse for Clement than being imprisoned was the news from Florence soon as the Spanish army had left, the citizens had broken into revolt. They'd confiscated Medici property and imposed heavy fines on members of the family. The new Florentine Republic had brought back democracy, like the old days of Savonarola, and ordered all the statues of Clement to be destroyed. Worst of all, the rebels had allied themselves with the French.
1: So now, if Clement wanted French help to liberate Rome and save the papal lands from Spanish occupation. The price would be that he'd have to wave goodbye to the Medici's beloved Florence. He was trapped in a horrible dilemma. The stage was set, enter Henry VIII and the matter of his divorce. go on with the story of the Pope and Henry's divorce, it's worth noting that requests from European royalty for the Pope to grant a divorce or an annulment were relatively common. Clement had already annulled the marriage of Henry's own sister, Margaret Tudor, that very year, 1527. Henry's former brother-in-law, the last King of France, Louis Twelfth, had had one of his marriages annulled in 1498, and in circumstances not at all unlike Henry's. The notion of marriage being for life didn't really come into the picture when it was a question of royalty.
0: Anyway, back to Clement, imprisoned by mutinous Spanish and German armies in the Castel Sant'Angelo in Rome, wondering how on earth to negotiate his own freedom and the release of papal lands captured by the Spanish, and at the same time regain Florence, now a democratic city, allied to the French. Now, remind me, who was he currently allied to? In 1527, the French? Right, but they were allied to the Medici's enemies in Florence, so now Clement had to do a deal with the Spanish again, to regain his liberty and his papal lands and then get an army sent to recapture Florence.
1: But if Pope Clement made a new alliance with the Spanish, then Henry would never get his divorce. Because as we've been saying over these podcasts, the reason Henry was getting rid of Catherine of Aragon wasn't because he was tired of her, but because he ditched his old Spanish alliance and he'd made a new one with the French. And the last thing the Spanish would do was to allow their captive pope to give Henry a divorce, because that would just let Henry go on supporting the French. He might even seal his new alliance for good by marrying a French princess.
0: So what could the English do? Well, Henry's chief minister, Cardinal Wolsey, went to France to negotiate sending an army to help the pope. And talk also perhaps about making Wolsey temporary pope while Clement was held captive. Uh, But all that would take time, especially the temporary pope part since so many of the Catholic cardinals, who would have to agree, had been created in the last few years by Clement's cousin. They were loyal to the Medici cause in Florence. So Henry seems to have come up with a crazy solution. He would send his secretary, William Knight, who'd been educated in Italy and knew it well, straight to Rome to ask the Pope directly for divorce, there and then.
1: It was a mad idea. Not only because Italy was a war zone and Knight would be lucky to reach Rome alive, let alone get in to see the Pope, but also because... Anyone could see that Clement was never going to agree to Henry's divorce, given how much he needed to do a deal with the Spanish. Now, historians usually think that Henry was just too hopelessly in love with Anne Boleyn to see sense. And we suppose that's possible. But it seems unlikely, given how lukewarm Henry was for so long after that about actually marrying her, and how hard-headed Henry was about everything else. What we've argued is that Henry realised he needed to put pressure on the Pope quickly, Perhaps he might just persuade Clement not to commit himself completely to the Spanish, or not yet? At least Henry could raise the dreaded spectre of splitting Christendom. If he urgently presented the Pope with the thorny dilemma of whether or not to permit him to divorce his Spanish queen, it might just buy Henry some time.
0: Now, Rome wasn't only full of mutinous troops, but also of the plague. Food was scarce, prices sky high the Pope and his cardinals were holed up in the Castel San Angelo for months. By November 1527, Clement had grown a long beard. Actually, growing beards was against canon law for priests. Popes had only grown them briefly in the past as a sign of mourning. Clement's was full and black and he obviously liked it. We know because he never shaved it off. It set the fashion for the next 22 popes, up to Innocent the XII, who died in 1700.
1: Some of the cardinals, who'd been taken hostage with him by the Spanish, managed to get their guards drunk and escape but then the guards began subjecting the rest to mock executions. The Pope was going to have to negotiate a deal with his Spanish captors soon.
0: William Knight struggled through Italy without even waiting for the right documents to ensure a safe conduct. He narrowly escaped being murdered at Monte Rotondo, just outside Rome. Finally, at the beginning of December, he struggled into the city. He was just too late.
1: Because on the 26th of November, Clement had finally given in and done a deal with the Spanish the Pope would get his papal lands back if and when the French army also retreated. In return, he agreed through gritted teeth to hold a general council to deal with the Lutheran heretics who were threatening Charles of his authority in Germany. Now Clement was terrified of general councils, which in canon law were superior to popes. He believed that if he called one, it could depose him because he'd been born illegitimate. Clement also agreed to pay another 368,000 ducats to the mutinous troops and hand over four papal towns and seven senior clergy as hostages until he'd fulfilled his side of the bargain. As for Florence? Well, for the time being, the Spanish were making no promises about that. Clement would have to wait and behave himself. Henry, of course, had other ideas.
0: Having risked his life several times to get as far as Rome, Henry's messenger William Knight tried to contact the Pope anyway, even if he was locked up in the Castel Santangelo, Angelo and even if he'd just done a deal with the Spanish. The best way to get messages in was to give them to children who smuggled them past the guards posing as beggars. Uh, perhaps thinking his bulky documents from Henry might be a bit too obvious, shoved under a little beggar's shirt, Knight met up with another of Wolsey's agents and together they got a message in with a chamberlain of a Venetian cardinal. The Pope replied vaguely to say that he would help Henry. And then he warned Knight to get the hell out of Rome because he'd been found out by the Spanish, which he did. After Clement had signed the deal, the Spanish removed the guards. Their commander recommended that he wait a few days to leave until the roads were safer. But he borrowed some old clothes and at one in the morning on 7th of December 1527, slipped out disguised as a pedlar, And then he rode like the wind. The obvious
1: place to go was Orvieto, 120 kilometres to the north. Clement had been trying to turn the hilltop town, with its tumble down Bishop's Palace, into a fortress for himself, especially since a botched attempt to assassinate him. He'd reinforced the walls and gates, and built four new water reservoirs. There was even a well large enough for water-carrying donkeys. He was also stockpiling artillery ammunition in underground cellars. But the palace was still a mess. There weren't even enough beds to go round.
0: Clement must have ridden almost non-stop and changed his horses several times because despite being nearly 50, he got to Orvieto by 7 the next evening. Almost the first person to track him down one night just about a week after he got there was Henry's secretary, William Knight. This time, he was with Wolsey's Vatican agent, Gregorio Casali, the bold man. And he had new instructions from Woolsey himself.
1: Woolsey had ordered Casali to bribe anyone he needed to. Money was, after all, desperately short in the Pope's hilltop fortress, and prices were eye-watering. One observer remarked that the cardinals were walking about with threadbare cloaks and would sell Christ for a farthing. Besides, Clement and the cardinals had plenty of reason to be grateful to Casali, he'd stuck with them and negotiated terms for them during their siege in the Castel Sant'Angelo. Casali had an armful of letters from them all thanking him for what
0: he'd done. Over Christmas and into the New Year, Knight and Casali got down to trying to persuade the Pope to give Henry a divorce. Balancing on the rickety furniture with ceilings falling in and plaster crumbling from the walls, Knight, who of course spoke Italian, and Casali span a yarn about the threat of civil war in England if Henry went on much longer without a boy to succeed him. Clement told them bluntly Charles V, Spanish king, had ordered him not to help Henry in his divorce. Even so... After days of talking, he wrote a letter to Henry and handed it to Knight. You will learn from him, he wrote, meaning Knight, how important we consider your request. Your services need no testimony and we shall be glad of an occasion to oblige you. He enclosed a commission for Woolsey as his papal legate to decide the divorce case on his behalf in London.
1: We have to remember that Woolsey had originally been given his powers as legate as a reward for helping Catherine and Clement, when he was still a cardinal, fix up an English alliance with the Spanish. It was Clement, when he'd become Pope, who'd confirmed these powers for Wolsey's life. And now Clement was allowing Wolsey to use exactly those powers to break Catherine's marriage and the Spanish alliance. And if Wolsey ever used Clement's commission and went ahead and dissolved Henry's marriage, it was quite possible that the Spanish might never help Clement get Florence back.
0: No wonder it caused Clement more than a few days of more than his usual chronic indecision. At our earlier discussion of these events, we saw how Henry and Wolsey then went on making impossible demands on Clement throughout 1528. They wanted Wolsey to be able to decide the case, but they didn't want Catherine to have the right to appeal to the Pope afterwards. Well, for Clement, that was much too much of a risk. So he kept on not quite giving them what they wanted, telling them at least to get started. They should get on, hear the case themselves in England. Maybe Catherine wouldn't appeal... Even if she did, quite possibly, the situation in Italy would have improved by then. And indeed, as 1528 went on, the French armies began to get the upper hand in Italy and the Spanish were forced to sign a peace with Henry. Now he had a golden opportunity to get his divorce done and not to worry about the Spanish making an appeal. But still, Henry and Wolsey delayed. They asked over and over again for those impossible powers forbidden under canon law to decide the case without an appeal. We've argued that it was useful to them to keep delaying asking the Pope, stringing him along, because it held Clement back from throwing in his lot with the Spanish once and for all.
1: After all, however much he wanted Spanish help to regain Florence, the Pope couldn't risk splitting Christendom down the middle by refusing to give Henry what he asked for. And by keeping on asking for the impossible, Henry could keep poor Clement in suspense. So asking for the impossible is what Henry and Wolsey continued to do.
0: Henry had spent much of 1528 presenting Pope Clement with demands he couldn't possibly meet. Well, at least it had the virtue of preventing the Pope from going over to the Spanish side once and for all. But then the French deserted Henry and began to sue for peace with the Spanish. So Henry had to cut his losses, get his divorce case heard by Cardinal Woolsey, his chief minister in England, as the Pope had been telling him to do all along.
1: In the end, Clement sent one of his cardinals, Lorenzo Campeggio, to hear the case in England with Woolsey. Now, Campeggio was the new protector of England and nominally Bishop of Salisbury. Which meant he was being paid a large salary by Henry to look after English interests in Rome. He'd had a notorious affair with one of Rome's smartest courtesans, Lucretia de Clarice, known by her trade name, Matrema non ne vuole, which means Mother doesn't want me to. So the English thought Campeggio might be sympathetic
0: to Henry. Still, everyone delayed. Preparations for the hearing went on month after month. Compared tried to persuade Catherine to go into a convent, which would have made it more or less impossible to appeal against a sentence. She refused.
1: The trial eventually began on the 31st of May 1529 at the Dominican Convent of Blackfriars at Ludgate Hill in London. It's best known for a couple of incidents. The most misunderstood is Catherine's statement. On the 18th of June, the first day of taking evidence, the Queen had turned up with a Great company of ladies and gentlewomen. Women in the public gallery cheered. As the French ambassador Jean du Bellay wrote home, if the matter were to be decided by the women, the king would lose the battle.
0: Three days later, Catherine was back. She crossed the courtroom floor and knelt in front of the king. Despite the cheering from the women around her, Catherine's position wasn't good. Charles V had done nothing to help get her any legal representation. She was also, as we shall see, in an awkward situation.
1: First, she announced that as a 15-year-old bride, she and Henry's brother Arthur had never consummated their marriage. In fact, she claimed only to have slept with him seven times and never, in fact, had sex. It made a difference because, if it was true, her marriage to Arthur had never happened in the eyes of the church and one of Henry's biggest objections to his marriage with her would vanish. Historians have made a lot of her statement, though in reality she said nothing she hadn't been saying for years. And anyway, what's interesting is that it was all a play act, a smokescreen for what came next, because Catherine informed the court that as Henry's humble wife and subject, she needed his permission to write to the Pope to defend her honour. Now, Henry had been lecturing the court about how much her welfare mattered to him, and suddenly he had no choice but to agree.
0: Since 1524, Catherine had been under oath not to write to anyone without the King's permission. Now she had his permission to write to the Pope, and there was a courtroom full of witnesses. Her letter would almost certainly trigger the case being called to Rome. And with Rome now more or less in Spanish hands, that would be disastrous for Henry. Catherine's letter is still in the Vatican. The important point is that it's dated 16th of June. She'd already written it five days before she knelt dramatically before Henry. She'd run the risk of being found guilty of treason. Now she got away with it. Getting to her feet, she strode confidently out of the courtroom, ignoring all instructions to come back. On, on, she shouted as she left. It makes no matter, for it is no impartial court for me.
1: Now an experienced courier could get to Rome in a fortnight. Add another fortnight to get back, and Henry and Woolsey knew they only had a month to get the trial finished before the Pope could call the case to Rome. And given the overwhelming Spanish presence in Rome, Catherine would win. Catherine's letter, in fact, eventually arrived in Rome around the 9th of July. Clement was surrounded by Charles V's men and dithered more horribly than ever. He was heard swearing unpapily whenever Henry's obstinate desire and devilish inspiration were mentioned. After two weeks of indecision, Clement wrote back, addressing his letter to Campeggio. He had decided to summon the
0: case to Rome. The only thing Wolsey's men in Rome could do was delay Clement's reply getting back to England until the Blackfriars trial was over and the deal was done. Couriers normally went via Venice, where there was a thriving trade in code-breaking to crack any mail that might be in cipher. In fact, getting any mail into and out of Italy was a nightmare since everyone, including the couriers, was opening it, even forging fake mail to make a profit or gain some political advantage. On one occasion, a courier with an important dispatch for the English court got as far as Calais, found the gates shut because it was evening and just tossed the package over the wall and rode away. The package never turned up.
1: So Wolsey's agent in Rome, Gregorio Casali, at once sent an urgent message to his contacts in Venice, telling them to waylay the Pope's courier and hold him there as long as they could. But Casali's own messenger fell into the hands of the Spanish army. So he then sent a whole detachment of cavalry and infantry to capture the Pope's messenger. But that was no use. What he didn't know was that Clement had dispatched six messengers at the same time, in the hope that at least one of them would get through to England.
0: In the end, it didn't matter, because the trial had already been halted. As we saw at our earlier discussion, historians now think that it was in fact Henry who had pulled the plug. The reason was that it was suddenly obvious that Campegia was going to find against him. Not on the balance of the evidence he'd heard, which as Campeggio bitterly complained had almost all been in Henry's favour, but because news arrived that Pope Clement was grievously ill. In fact, the rumour was that he was about to die. Now suddenly Campeggio needed to be back in Rome as fast as possible. If a new Pope was going to be elected, Campeggio wanted to have his say. He also wanted to keep in with the Spanish, since they were now so strong in Rome that they would be leaning on the cardinals to elect whoever they wanted.
1: But for Henry, it meant that his divorce case was on its way to Rome and there he would almost certainly lose it. Because in the middle of all this, at the end of June, Clement, perhaps believing he was soon going to die, had finally signed a treaty committing himself to Charles, the Spanish king. At last, he'd got the Spanish to agree that his beloved Florence would be seized from the Florentine rebels and given back to the Medici. After years of flipping and flopping, the Pope had finally flapped for good over to the Spanish side. It was seriously bad news for the citizens of Florence.
0: Once Clement had signed a treaty with the Spanish, the rebellious citizens of Florence knew they would have to fight for their survival. They threw everything into their defence. They employed one of Clement's favourite artists to strengthen the city's defences. His name was Michelangelo de Ludovico Buonarroti Simoni, the man we know as Michelangelo. He was no fan of the Medici. He'd actually proposed knocking down the Medici Palace in Florence and replacing it with a piazza. He wanted to call it Piazza de Muli, which literally means mule piazza. And since mule was a term for a bastard, it was a barbed reference to the circumstances of Clement's own birth.
1: Now Michelangelo had more important things to do. He had the citizens working day and night to reinforce the city. To deprive a besieging army of shelter, they destroyed every building within a mile of the walls. Homeless families began, crowding into the city streets, raising the population by 50%.
0: The siege began in October 1529, and by the following spring the people were suffering malnutrition and disease. Negotiations started but failed because Clement refused to compromise. It took until the 12th of August fifteen thirty, ten months after the siege began, before the city capitulated. 30,000 people, about a third of those who'd lived and taken refuge in the city, had died. Clement put Alessandro back in charge as ruler, soon to be married to Charles V's illegitimate daughter. He would rule with the assistance of a Spanish military commander.
1: So, Clement had regained Florence as well as Rome and much of his papal lands. He'd also recovered from his illness. But his greatest objective, the unity of Christendom, now looked doomed. Henry was now making increasingly hostile noises about splitting England from the Church of Rome and there was possibility that the French would follow. Spanish representatives kept bursting into the papal apartments demanding that Henry be excommunicated. Finally, in October 1533... Clement gave in and passed a sentence of excommunication against the English king. By that time, Henry had given himself a divorce and married Anne Boleyn. But that wasn't
0: the end of the story. Henry had married Anne and Clement had excommunicated him. But the French didn't give up. They wanted to keep on trying to get both Clement and Henry over to their side. They tried to negotiate a truce between Henry and Clement, Now, this is the moment when, as we've seen, the King of France proposed marrying his son to Clement's niece. The idea was that they'd all meet up in Marseille for the wedding. And there, amid the festivities, or in reality, during the endless, tedious negotiations that always came before a royal marriage, Henry would make his peace with Clement.
1: It was a fine plan. But as we've seen, Henry didn't show up. And the envoys he sent got into a series of furious rows with Clement. By now, in 1534, Henry had pretty much given up his policy of trying to keep the French and the Pope on side. He'd divorced Catherine, and the Spanish had done nothing. He'd seized control of the English church. He probably even felt he needed the French much less than they needed him. After all the bad-tempered arguing behind the scenes, the French King Francis was complaining bitterly that he was now marrying off his precious second son to no purpose at all henry ruined any chance of a reconciliation between himself and Clement. What Francis couldn't have known was that his eldest son would catch a cold playing tennis and would die, leaving this son who'd just been married, Henri of Orléans, to become king. And his wife, Catherine de' Medici, would become one of the most formidable queens France ever had.
0: Well, back in 1534, Catherine, then just 14, had been left bobbing about in Marseille harbour for a fortnight, while her uncle, the Pope, and the English shouted at each other. Little Catherine was eventually brought ashore and married to the French prince. As a sign of gratitude, the prince gave Clement a lion. Nobody told the Pope, but the animal had originally been given to Francis by the Turkish Admiral Barbarossa, whose fleets had threatened the Spanish Empire in 1531. Francis had signed a secret deal with him, even though he was supposed to be on the Pope's side against Barbarossa's Islamic invaders. Actually secretly suited Francis to have the Turks threatening to invade because it distracted Charles V's army and made the Pope more desperate than ever to do deals with everyone including the French and perhaps even Henry and the English. What seemed to be the final act in this saga came on the 23rd of March, 1534. That day, 22 cardinals met in Rome. The air was full of talk of fat French bribes, but also of ruthless Spanish determination to get the English affair sorted and finished once and for all, so that at last they could get on with other business. sounds familiar. Our old French friend Jean de Belle, once ambassador to England, was now in Rome representing France but he was still trying to argue Henry's case. The meeting was packed with Spanish supporters and became so bad-tempered, reported Dubillet in astonishment, that the Pope and his cardinals actually missed lunch.
1: (laughs) In the end, the cardinals voted unanimously that Henry's marriage to Catherine had been valid. And then they confirmed Clement's excommunication of Henry and excommunicated Anne for good measure. Even the Spanish side were so astonished at their victory that they left quietly and hadn't the heart to celebrate. It was, reported du Belay, a total rompture, a complete break. It didn't matter. In the Parliament of November 1534, Henry took a last, apparently unequivocal step. The Act of Supremacy declared him the supreme head of the Church in England. Henry tried to talk Francis, King of France, into doing the same. But the day back in March 1534, when Clement and his 22 cardinals had missed lunch, Catherine's part in the story had come to an end. Clement convinced himself she would soon be murdered, but he comforted himself that at least she would die a martyr. In fact, she would die in her bed in the arms of her favourite servant in January
0: 1536. Actually, it was Clement who didn't have long to live. He died six months later, on 25th of September 1534, he was fifty-six. He'd just commissioned Michelangelo, apparently forgiven for his role in the defence of Florence, to paint the last judgment on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And perhaps it was rather appropriate. Clement had also recently officially approved Nicolaus Copernicus's theory that the Earth revolves around the sun. Clement had set out with good intentions. Unlike his uncle, he'd mostly refused to create cardinals in return for cash. He'd established a commission to improve the performance and morals of the clergy but he'd not prevented the splitting of Christendom. In the end, he'd been too attached to Florence and to getting Spanish help to recover it, to do anything about stopping the English slip out of the Catholic Church.
1: Nor had he done enough to tackle the growing problem of Protestantism in Germany and Switzerland. What had been needed there was a general council, but Clement, afraid that a council would depose him because he was born illegitimate, bottled it, and the Catholic Church has never been reunited. Alessandro de' Medici was assassinated in 1537, but Medici rule in Florence stuttered on one way or another until Florence was incorporated into a unified modern state of Italy in 1861.
0: For more on this story and others at our History Café, go to historycafe.org. There you'll find information about us and also about further reading you can do. It's also a way to ask us any questions you might have. Or contact
1: us on social media at History Cafe Pod.